Last, last week we left off looking at the person doing the calling and we were looking at verses and that covers verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. So we're just going to kind of continue on <clears throat> looking at that topic or that theme there in Ephesians chapter 4. If I can go ahead and get there. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 11. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Brother Angus, do you mind praying for me, please? Father, we pray that you would help Caleb, Lord, this morning. Uh, Sunday school time, Lord, I pray that you would speak through him, Lord, give us something from your word, Lord. We ask for the other Sunday school classes, Lord, Miss Keenan, Miss Tina, Pastor Matt, Lord, we pray that you would bless all our time, Lord. ask that you come and meet with us, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So last time, as I said, we, looked up, we left off looking at the person doing the callings, and that's covered in verses 7 through 11 and 15 and 16. And we studied about the performance of the person in verses 9 and 10 last week. And now we're going to look at the position of the person. Well, not right off, but in verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> and we'll just go ahead and read those. It says, but speaking, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And we, we, I want to draw attention to that last part of verse 15 in the beginning portion of verse 16 where it says, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. <clears throat> and I think the main point here of those, that portion of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, which is called a body. And those in the body are the redeemed. They're not unsaved people. There's obviously can't be no unsaved people in the body of Christ so we're going to move on here, Just we just looked at there very briefly, but we're going to move on here to verse 11 actually, where we read that first, and the theme of that verse is the particulars of the callings. And we, you can notice there in verse 11, and he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. <clears throat> and here in verse 11, we, you can draw, we could draw attention to the word, excuse me, the word it gave in the beginning of the verse there, and he gave some apostles. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 27. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, the Bible says, Now are ye the body of Christ and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, 
governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And one of a variation of a calling would be a gift. And we can see here in this that there's gifts, but there's also the gift of the Holy Spirit. And really what you see here is the Spirit has been enduing the member of the body with spiritual gifts or enablements for a varied surface. Some here are certain Spirit-endued men, and those would be the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, are themselves the gifts glorified by Christ. Christ bestows them upon his body in the church. And in Corinthians, the gifts are spiritual, and we read about the different gifts of the tongues and being able to interpret and things like that. Their gifts or their the the gifts are spiritual enablements for specific service. But here in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter four, the gifts are the men who have such enablements. And Dr. Reckman said, the gifts are the people. They're not the talking of the tongues, the miracles, the healing. And the, the men who have the gift of the Holy Ghost are, 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 are the gifts there. And the gift also can be of the Holy Ghost. And turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Just trying to dive in a little bit deeper here into this verse. Just sharing some things I learned this week. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse... Let me try to get that right. Yep, it's 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we see that the gift is... The Holy Ghost. And Paul here, as a, just looking back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, just as a broad view, Paul lists only four callings here in, in this verse. And each of these callings were given for the benefit of the church. That is, they were gifts to the church. And we see that men are the gifts and also the Holy Spirit enabling those men is, is a gift. But those gifts were given to the church. And there are, of course, there are, of course, many, many other callings. Those aren't the only callings. And obviously, every believer has a calling themselves. You know, whether, you know, obviously a believer is apostle, prophet, whatever. But they have callings themselves. We, we each all have a work to do. But these four callings, they're significant callings given to the church. And just as a side note here, not everybody is given the same gifts or callings. You know, obviously we talked about the gift isn't necessarily healing or everything, but also we could say that not every, everyone has different interests or different abilities, if you will. And some, we, we noticed there, I thought it was interesting how in, the, in this passage of scripture, each time he says, and he gave some apostles and some, he preferences each, each one with a sum there. He's like, he's saying not everybody gets to be, you know, this or that. But God gives us each of us different callings or gifts or places within the body of Christ. 
And the Lord is the one who gives these gifts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 22. Acts chapter 11, verse 22, the Bible says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And the thought is that the Lord gives those gifts providentially. You see there that he leads, he has people go, he had, he had um, Barnabas, he, he goes to seek Paul, and then, and then they go and, and then they assemble themselves in the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And they, they go into different places providentially. God works things out providentially. And also he works things out through the Spirit. We're looking at the callings or the gifts of God. He, he works things out through the Spirit. Let's read Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 and 2. 13, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. 13 verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Verse, uh, go, turn with me to chapter 16. We'll look at verses 6 and 7. Acts 16 and verse 6. Acts 16 verse 6 says, And now when they had gone, <clears throat> excuse me, and now when they had gone throughout um, Pyphrygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And now they were come to that place and they essayed to go into Bethnia and but excuse me, but the Spirit suffered them not. So you see there that the Spirit it leads folks to do different things and to go different places. We see the Holy Spirit directing people there in those, in, in, in those, in those scriptures. But I want to take a look, and you can turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and I want to now take a look at each of the different callings here we see and kind of break them down one by one and maybe learn a little bit that we didn't know already. <clears throat> so first off, you see... Verse 11, and he gave some apostles. Apostles. So he looked up apostle, and, and that, in, in the simplest definition, it means to send away or sent, to send. And that also means a person that's um, deputed to execute some important business, but approximately a disciple of Christ commissioned to preach the gospel. 
Twelve persons were selected by Christ for this purpose. And Judas, one of the number being proving an apostate, his place was supplied by Matthias. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2, you don't have to turn there. It says, until the day that he was taken up, after that, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So you just see a little bit of scripture there just to reference the definition. The title of apostle also applies to Christ himself. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 3. Turn with, if you will, Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. So you see, the title of apostle applies also to Christ himself. In the primitive ages of the church, the beginning stages of the church, other ministers were also called apostles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 and verse 7. Romans chapter 16 and verse 7. Salute Adronicus and Juna, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So we see that the, the beginning stages, other ministers were also called apostles. And, they, and part, of that of, uh, excuse me, part of the definition of apostles was also that they were people who were sent to carry alms from one church to another. And that's referenced in Philippians chapter 2. We can turn there. Philippians chapter 2. And all of this, all of this is actually in the 1828 dictionary if you want to look it up yourself. <clears throat> and, and, they give, and they give these scriptures in there. So I want to take the time to look at those. Um, I'm in the wrong book. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. We'll start in verse 25 there and go through verse 30. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. It says, Yet I suppose, excuse me, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because he heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore more carefully, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was, made, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Now, I don't know in that scripture where it talks about alms and all that, but maybe you saw it and I didn't, but that's what they gave there, so I thought I'd read it. So the title of apostle was also given to the persons who first planted the Christian faith. Among the Jews, the title was given to officers who were sent into distant providences as visitors or commissioners to see 
the laws, to, excuse, me, excuse me, to see that laws were observed. John Newton said this, and he included a little bit about an apostle, and I thought it was pretty good. It said, and I, excuse me, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God that I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle referencing Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. We should, be able to, we should be able to agree with the Apostle Paul there. And the point, I guess, there from that is that we can learn from what the Apostles said and did. And we can learn from the older men, the forefathers of our faith. The Apostles were part of that definition was the people who first planted the Christian faith. We can learn from our forefathers of the faith. And I would leave, I would, I would sort of wrap up this point, I guess, with this thought of never quit learning from those forefathers of the faith. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly they, excuse me, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I think that's a great attitude to have. And not only should we learn from the apostles and the forefathers of our faith, so to speak, but we should, we should want to have that sort of attitude, and that's one of humility. Butler, John G. Butler said, the apostle, in its literally, its literally meanings, simply means one sent with a message, an ambassador, etc. The word used in the scriptures is in two different ways. In a special sense, it is used to designate the 12 apostles who were given special abilities and authority in the early church. But we do not have any more of those kind of apostles. But we still have the apostle who is sent with a message. That meaning can apply to all of the next three offices that we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 4. So we can turn back there unless you're already there. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. And we, we touched on this already, but note the word some. It's used several times in this verse. And not everybody got to be one of these, these guys, one of the apostles and the prophets and, or an evangelist and a pastor or a teacher. And we don't, we don't all get to do things. And God only calls some of us to do these things. But we, we need to be content with what God has called us to do and, and sort of stay in our lane, you know, so to speak. We, we, we like to, um, you know, why can't I be this person or why can't I do this job? You know, that looks way more exciting, you know. And you see all that's childish and that's what little kids do. Well, sometimes adults do the same thing, amen? And we, we get to be like, man, why can't I be the person who plays the piano? Like, well, you can't play the piano. So, you know, it's like, sorry. Better luck next time. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, we have to do what God called us to do. And, and, and also, I think kind of along this, a sub-point of this point would be, generally speaking, people, they like to give preachers or teachers or pastors advice about things. But most of the time, the people doing that, God hasn't called them to 
be a teacher or a preacher or a pastor. And those people, they don't have any experience in that calling. I've grown up in church my whole life, been in two different churches, and I think I've split in three church splits in the, in, the, in the two churches I've been in, you know, and people, they give advice, and you never even, you've never even done the job, and you're giving advice about the job. You know, and the thought is, the thought is, we, we, we give advice about things we really don't know anything about. We think we do. We think we're, everybody's an expert on everything nowadays, right? You got, you got Google, so you can look stuff up and sound real smart. But we don't, in life, we don't tell our dentist how to clean our teeth, and we don't tell our mechanic how to fix our car. And some of us may, but our, we don't tell our doctor what to do or how to do it, you know? We don't, we don't. We shouldn't be telling the preacher, the teacher, the pastor how to do what God has called them to do. Just a little, little side note there. And, and God's, I think God has called, you know, these men, whoever they may be, to do. And I'm just speaking generally. God has called them, so let God take care of any correction that needs to happen. And God, God can handle it all on his own. So, <clears throat> moving on, since that's... That old subtopic went over so well. We'll move on to the next thing here. We see, and it says, and some prophets. And some prophets. A prophet is one that foretells future events. It's a predictor or a foreteller. In Scripture, a person illuminated, it inspired or instructed by God to announce future events as Moses, Elijah, David, Isaiah, etc., an interpreter is one that explains or communicates sentiments. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1, we can go there real quick if you don't mind. Exodus chapter 7, and we'll look at verse 1. I'm trying to help you all stay awake this morning. I'm trying to in the scriptures. Amen. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. I'm trying to get people to laugh, you know, listen up. That's all. That's Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. And that's just a, that just goes along with that, that third definition there, an interpreter, one that explains or communicates sentiments. The fourth definition of a prophet is one who pretends to foretell, excuse me, who pretends to foretell. That would be an imposter, a false prophet. Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 6. If you want to run over there real quick. Acts chapter 13 and verse 6. Acts chapter 13 and verse 6. The Bible says, And when they had gone through the aisle unto... They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar... I think it says Bar-Jesus, I don't know. But they, they found this false prophet, and obviously one who pretends to foretell, foretell an imposter or a false prophet. And just a side note here, obviously we shouldn't want to be a false prophet or an imposter, an imposter prophet or imposter teacher, apostle or evangelist or pastor. And... We see there in verse, Acts 13, verse 6, we saw that a false prophet is also called a sorcerer. 
They kind of use it as an adjective there. Definitely not something a Christian should be. And you can't be both. You know, I don't think you can be a Christian and be a false whatever at the same time. And people, they try to be, you know, whatever they're trying to be and still be a Christian. And you can't be both. You know, you have to pick a side. You know, the old definition of don't sit on the fence. It's not very comfortable. Amen. So pick a side. Figure out what you want to be there. Amen. Evangelist, moving on here, evangelist, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, evangelist, it means a writer of history, doctrines, precepts, actions, life, and death of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, as the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It also means a preacher or a publisher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, someone who's licensed to preach but not having the particular a charge of a particular church. The implied meaning or calling is that it's a traveling ministry, someone who travels to spread the gospel. And missionaries, you could also put them under this calling as well, for they travel to spread the gospel. Once was a school teacher, and his name was Mr. Kimball. In 1858, he led a Boston shoe clerk to give his life to Christ. That clerk was Dwight L. Moody. He became an evangelist, and in England of 1879, awakened evangelistic zeal in the heart of Frederick B. Meyer, a pastor of a small church. F.B. Meyer, preaching on an American college campus, brought to Christ a student named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman engaged in YMCA work, employed a former baseball player, named Billy Sunday, to do evangelistic work, and the list goes on and on. And my point is there, just that's how we should be. An evangelist or a preacher or publisher of the gospel of Christ, that's what we should all be in a way. We should all be evangelists. And we can't witness to everybody, but the point of that story is that witnessing has a domino effect, you know? Pastor gets saved, or one guy tells pastor, about the Lord, he gets saved, and then pastor tells Miss King he gets saved, and then boom, 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 pastor starts church, moves here, moves there. All, and I talked about this previously, of, of the providential leading of the Lord, and just how, you know, pastor, you know, if, if pastor doesn't witness to Miss Keenan, they don't get married, they don't have all those kids, pastor Matt's not here, you know, pastor doesn't maybe not start the church or whatever, obviously if he's getting saved, all of these, all of us right here, wouldn't be here, so to speak, you know, there's, it's, it's a domino effect, so yeah, maybe you're not telling everybody about the Lord, but you need to tell the people Amen. who God puts on your heart to tell about the Lord, you never know, that person may become a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist, you know, they, they might just be a shoe clerk, but you know, one day, who knows what the Lord will do with them, amen. So moving on here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we see, and some, we looked at some prophets and some apostles and some evangelists, and we'll look at some pastors. And pastor, the first definition is a shepherd, one who has the care of flocks and herds. Second definition is a minister of the gospel who has the charge of a church and congregation whose duty is to watch over the people of his charge and instruct them in the sacred doctrines of Christian religion. Just a little side note, something I wrote here is pastors have a tough job to do and don't make their jobs harder. And we should be careful what we say to 
a pastor. Sure, not all pastors are good pastors, but a pastor is a man of God and should be treated with respect. There was a college student and he heard John R. Rice tell a story of being invited to a revival meeting for a godly pastor. For several months, the pastor and Dr. Rice, they corresponded about a date that would work out for these meetings in both of their schedules. And finally, a week was agreed upon. And so the next Sunday at the close of the service, the pastor got up and announced the date of the meetings to his people. And as he did so, one of the men in his church who stood to his feet and began walking down the center aisle, he pointed his finger at the pastor and said, Over my dead body will we have rice in this church. Pastor, he was shocked and he really didn't know what to do. And so he just simply closed the service in prayer. And so months went on and months, months passed. And the pastor, he said nothing more to the congregation. He just... About that revival meeting, he didn't say anything else. But behind the scenes, the, he planned the meetings as normal, and he never told Dr. Rice what had happened. So the meetings were to start on a Monday night, and Dr. Rice, excuse me, Dr. Rice, Dr. Rice told how he arrived at the church that morning at about 11 o'clock. When he got to the church, he was surprised to find every parking place filled and the church crammed to overflowing. He parked about two blocks away and entered the door only to find people standing in the lobby looking through some glass windows into a packed auditorium. It was a funeral service for that deacon. As Dr. Rice looked toward the front of the church, he saw a huge white banner stretched from one side to the other with large red letters printed on it. Welcome, Dr. John R. Rice. Underneath that banner was a casket, and the deacon said, rested on the pillow in that coffin, directly under the word rice on the banner. His words had become prophetic in his own mouth over my dead body, but we have rice in this church. I think, generally speaking, you should always be careful what you say to a man of God. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks don't, <coughs> don't like to do that. They like to just... They like to just say whatever. But I think you, I think you should be careful. I think you, I think you really should. You know, you say, oh, you know, we differ on this and differ on that, and I have a different opinion. Who cares what your opinion is? Amen. Amen. Everyone's got opinions. Two armpits both stink. And uh, you know, I, th- I think, yeah, I, you know. <clears throat> Growing up in church, you see that a lot, and honestly, like, this is a prevalent topic, and I kind of I feel, more, feel more about this topic just because, you know, getting up and being a preacher and stuff, and even as a young preacher, you know, people give you advice about, you know, how to preach or what to say or even how to say it and different things, and I appreciate advice, everything, but yeah, I, just, I just think we should be careful on that, amen, you know, so... Next, a teacher, a teacher. Uh, a teacher is one who teaches. Big, big revelation there. And instructs. An instructor is a precept, excuse me, preceptor, a tutor, or one whose business or occupation is to instruct others. One who instructs others in religion, a preacher, a minister of the gospel. The teachers in all the churches assembled themselves. There you go. Use it in a sentence. One who preaches without regular ordination. Oh, well. 
We all instruct people just to be living our lives, being a good example or bad. But we, excuse me, my point was poorly spoken. We all instruct people with our lives. We're either a good example to them or a bad example. What kind of teacher are you? One day there was a teacher and she asked her students to list the names of the other students in the room on two sheets of paper, giving a space between each name. Then she told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down. It took the remainder of the class period to finish the assignment, and as the students left the room, each one handed in the papers. That Saturday, the teacher wrote down the name of each student on a separate piece of paper and listed what everyone else had said about that individual. On Monday, she gave each student his or her list. Before long, the entire class was smiling. Really? She whispered, I never knew that I meant anything to anyone, said one student. And I didn't know others liked me so much. Those were most of the comments. One, no one ever mentioned these papers in class again. The teacher never knew if they discussed them after class or with their parents, but it, it didn't matter. The exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students were happy with themselves and one another. So that group of students moved on. Several years later, one of the students was killed in Vietnam, and his teacher attended the funeral of that special student. The church was packed with his friends. One by one, those who loved him took a last walk by the coffin, and the teacher was the last to do so. As she stood there, one of the soldiers who acted as the pallbearer came up to her and said, Were you Mark's math teacher? Yes, and she nodded yes. Then he said, Mark talked about about you a lot. After, after the funeral, most of Mark's former classmates went on to, together to a, to a luncheon, and Mark's mother and father were there, obviously waiting to speak with his teacher. We want to show you something, his father said. He took, he took it out of his wallet, and they found, we found this on Mark when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. <clears throat> Opening the billfold, he carefully removed two worn pieces of notebook paper that had obviously and taped and folded and refolded many times. The teacher knew without looking that the papers were the ones on which she had listed all the good things each of Mark's classmates had said about him. Thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you see, Mark treasured it. All of Mark's former classmates, they started to gather around and one smiled sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's on the top drawer at my desk at home. That student's wife said, yeah, he asked me to put it in our wedding album. I have mine too, said another, it's in my diary. Then another reached into her pocketbook and took out her wallet and showed her worn and fragile list to the group. I carried this with me at all times. And she said, without batting an eyelash, she continued, I think we all saved our list. That's when the teacher, leave. That's when the teacher finally stood, excuse me, finally sat down and cried. She cried for Mark and for all his friends who would never see him again. And we can take many, many things from that illustration, but the main point is, what kind of teacher are you? And also, what would you say about others, both good and bad? What could others say about you, both good and bad, as having an effect on them? What, excuse me, what you say about people can have an effect on them for years to come whether it's good or bad. You know, growing up, I can recall different things people said or did, both good and bad, even 
as a young kid, I can think of things back four or five years old, things that people did for me. Those things have stuck with me all these years. And that's what kind of effect our life can have on others. And that's where, you know, not everyone can be an apostle or a, or a prophet or an evangelist or a preacher or a pastor, but we can all be teachers with our lives. And pastors and teachers, this is a combined office of administration and education. The word translated pastor, it means shepherd, which is involved in administration, authority, care, and supervision. Teacher, it emphasizes the important work of instructing the flock in the word of God. Some in the church, they want their pastor to be a teacher, but not an administrator. Others want the administrative leadership, but not the preaching and the teaching ministry, which convicts of sin and exhorts to godly living. However, both ministries are involved in being a pastor. Ruth Paxton said of this verse 11 in her book, The Wealth, the Walk, and the Warfare of the Christian. The foundation of the church must be securely laid in Jesus Christ and made known in an authoritative body of teaching. This divinely attested truth must be thoroughly taught to the church. So Christ gave to the church in its infancy some, of, some to be apostles and prophets. Upon this foundation laid once and for all, a building was constructed for the habitation of God, who made up living stones to be added one by one. A mystical body was to be created for Christ, the head out of the sinners, saved by grace and quickened by his spirit. This required evangelists to go far and wide to proclaim the gospel and extend the boundaries of the church through winning souls one by one and adding to the church such as should be saved. But the sheep must be shepherded. So there was a need for, of pastors. The members of the body must be built up in their knowledge of Christ through the word. So there was a need for teachers. As the evangelist labors to extend the church, so the pastor and the teacher work to edify it. Edify it means to build up in a literal sense, to instruct, to improve the mind and knowledge generally, particularly in moral and religious knowledge and faith and holiness. Edify one another, First Thessalonians 5.11, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. It also means to teach or to persuade. And we may not all be called like those in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, but we can be a help to others. There was a man by the name of Marquis de Lafayette. He was a French officer, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, who was a value, he was invaluable to George Washington in, in the struggling American army <clears throat> in the Revolutionary War. After the war was over, he returned to France and resumed his life as a farmer of many estates. In 1783, the harvest had been a terrible one, and there had been many who suffered as a result. Lafayette's farms were unaffected by the devastating crops. One of his workers offered what seemed to be good advice to Lafayette. The bad harvest had raised the price of wheat, this is the time to sell, said one of the workers. After thinking about the hungry presence and the surrounding villages, Lafayette disagreed and said, no, this is the time to give. And God blesses us just not for our own benefit so that we can also be a blessing to others in need. And the tendency to hoard or try to build up more and more can, is a dangerous one. And the best antidote to greed is to be a generous giver. There is certainly no shortage of people in need today. And while we cannot meet every need, if we do what we can do, God will multiply the resources so that it is enough. 
We can be a help to others. We can build them up or we can tear them down. This little poem, it's called A Builder or a Wrecker. As I watch them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, with a whole heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the side wall fell. I asked the four men, are these men skilled? And the men you hired if you wanted to build. He gave me a laugh and said, no indeed. Just a common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan or patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town, content with the labor of tearing down? O Lord, let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. That's what I have for you this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you just for your word and that we can learn from it. Pray that you bless all the folks that came out today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time.